first thing I need to do is um, correct something I said the other night. Um, when I was talking about those priestly cities in Joshua 21, I we were in verse 17, and I am mentioning Gibeon. And I talk about how this was the site of the concubine's rape. Um, that was a moment of temporary insanity. Um, it, is, it is spelled close to the same in English and Hebrew as Gibeah. Gibeah and Gibeah. And if you we showed it in Hebrew, it would only be the last letter that would be different as well. But that's no excuse. And that was just, that was foolishness. Now, it's not like Gibeon doesn't have a pretty good history. You know, we got that in Joshua 9. But what I was thinking or why I had said that, I don't know. And Anne asked an innocent question afterwards, are they the same city? And all of a sudden, I realized my shame, and I'm glad I didn't pass away before uh, Sunday to correct that mistake, because I wanted to correct that. Now, um, afterwards, too, um, David asked a question, and some of you may have had questions about other cities, about Ramoth Gilead. And that's his, this is one of the cities of refuge, Ramoth Gilead. This is in 2138. And I know David, and forgive me for mentioning this. Maybe I'm doing this just to make my fault mistake look less, okay? But David said, was, isn't that the city where Saul killed the men? And, and at first I might have even said yes. That's Jabesh Gilead. Look that up. Okay. Look that up in 1 Samuel 11 and Jabesh Gilead, Ramoth. It's very understandable. It's, it's, I'm in good company. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly right. So, but what, Ramoth Gilead has a pretty good history too, though. Think about it. In 1 Kings 22, this is the city where Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, let's take this city. Because it belongs to us and we're doing nothing to take it back from the Arameans. And, and, and Jehoshaphat says, I am as you are my horses, as your horses, but is there a prophet of the Lord that we can inquire of? That, that's all about Ramoth Gilead. So, so there are a lot of these cities that have an important history that we didn't really touch upon extensively. And, uh, and I do appreciate David's question because it did help me to, to bring that out. And uh, so I apologize for my mistakes. And I'm sure if we were to look over that, we could get a lot more light uh, if, if we uh, weren't rushing on. Now, Joshua 22. I love this story. This is one of the, in a lot of ways... One of the best stories that most people don't know. And, and I say it like that from this standpoint. I can remember a friend I was in college with 
about 30 years ago telling me that he went to uh, a meeting and it was uh, Art Ogden who was preaching at the meeting and he preached on Joshua 22 and he, and he told me after coming to that meeting and I saw him, I'd seen him about a week later, he says, I have to admit, I don't even remember that story. And uh, this is a good account. What we're going to do, first of all, just read the whole chapter, get it in front of us. I'll probably say a break at what I have given as the outline. And but just just grasp the story as I hope you've read it several times already, and then we might review it and telling it and then look at more detail here. But in verses one through nine, the tribes across the Jordan, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh will be told that they can go back home, that they have served their brethren well. In verse one. Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have listened to my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he spoke to them. Therefore turn now and go to your tents, to the land of your possession, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you beyond the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and law which Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you. To love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now to one half tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given possession in Bashan. But to the other half, Joshua gave a possession among his brothers westward beyond the Jordan. So when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and said to them, Return to your tents with great riches, with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, iron, and very many clothes. Divide the spoils of your enemies with your brothers. The sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home and departed from the sons of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go into the land of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they possessed, according to the command of the Lord through Moses. So Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh are told to go back home. But on the way home, they're going to do something in verses 10 through 12 that's going to cause a great controversy. They're going to build an altar, and in verses 13 through 20, the other tribes will confront them. Verse 10, When they came to the region of the Jordan, which is the land of Canaan, the sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, built an altar there by the Jordan, a large altar in appearance. And the sons of Israel heard it said, Behold, the sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the side belonging to the sons of Israel. When the sons of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel gathered themselves at Shiloh to go up against them in war. 
Then the sons of Israel sent to the sons of Reuben, to the sons of Gad, to the half-tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eliezer the priest, or Phinehas, the son of Eliezer the priest. And with him ten chiefs, one chief from each household, from each of the tribes of Israel. Each one of them was the head of his father's household among the thousands of Israel. They came to the sons of Reuben, to the sons of Gad, to the half-tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead. And they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this unfaithful act that you've committed against the God of Israel, turning away from the Lord this day by building yourselves an altar to rebel against the Lord this day? Is not the iniquity of Peor enough for us, from which we have not cleansed ourselves to this day, although a plague came on the congregation of the Lord, that you must turn away this day from following the Lord, and it will come about if you rebel against the Lord today, that He'll be angry with the whole congregation of Israel today. If, however, the land of your possession is unclean, then cross into the land of the possession of the Lord, where the tabernacle stands, and take possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or rebel against us by building an altar for yourselves beside the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, act unfaithfully in the things under the ban and wrath fall on all the congregation of Israel? And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. Now, in verses 21 through 29, these tribes are going to explain their purpose in building the altar. The sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, answered and spoke to the heads of the families of Israel. The Mighty One, God the Lord, the Mighty One, God the Lord, He knows, and may Israel itself know, it was in, it was, if it was in rebellion... Or if an unlawful act against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built us this an altar to turn away from following the Lord, or to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings on it, or to offer sacrifices or peace offerings on it, may the Lord Himself require it. But surely we have done this out of concern for a reason, saying in time to come your sons may say to our sons, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between us and you, you sons of Reuben, sons of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord. So, so your sons may make our sons stop fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, let us build an altar. Not for burnt offering or for sacrifice. Rather, it shall be a witness between us and you and between our generation after us that we are to perform the service of the Lord before Him with our burnt offerings and with our peace offerings, with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings, that your sons may not say to our sons in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. Therefore, we said... It shall come about if they say this to, to us and to our generations in time to come, then we will say, See the copy of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, not for burnt offering or for sacrifice. Rather, it is a witness between us and you. 
Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away from following the Lord this day by building an altar for burnt offering, for grain offering, for sacrifice besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before His tabernacle. The conclusion, 30-34. When Phinehas, the priest, and the leaders of the congregation even the heads of the families of Israel who were with him heard the words which the sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, the sons of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. And Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the priest, said to the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the sons of Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst because you have committed, you have not committed this unfaithful act against the Lord. Now you have delivered the sons of Israel from the hand of the Lord. That Phinehas, the son of Eliezer the priest, and the leaders returned from the sons of Reuben and from the sons of Gad and from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the sons of Israel and brought back word to them. The word pleased the sons of Israel and the sons of Israel blessed God. They did not speak of going up against them in war to destroy the land in which the sons of Reuben and Gad were living. The sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, called the altar witness, for they said it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. Now, I appreciate you listening, and uh, I hope that the reading of the text was helpful. It's always helpful if, if we're grasping it and putting things together. I counted at least nine times that you find that statement, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Then there were another five times where you simply read Reuben and Gad. This is the account where we see more about these Transjordan tribes than any in the Old Testament. Now we have seen them mentioned in Joshua before. In Joshua 1 verses 12 through 18, Joshua approached them and said, we're going to go across the Jordan River. You promised Moses that you would go with your brothers and you would fight for them and that only after they had been given rest in the land then you would go back to your family in the land. And the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh said, yes, just as we obeyed Moses, we will obey you in all things. In Joshua 4, verses 12 and 13, when the waters of the Jordan were divided, it is specifically mentioned the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh were going across the Jordan. So they said, we will obey you. We will do what we promised Moses. In Joshua 4, they're doing it. In Joshua 22, they have done it. They have been faithful to their brothers they have fought for their brothers and God has given them rest. Notice the statement in verse 2. You have kept all Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have listened to my voice in all that I commanded you. Remember we stated earlier uh, today and we stated earlier in the class that they had stated just as we obeyed Moses, we will obey you. 
We said in Joshua 1 that doesn't always sound good because the people didn't always listen to Moses. But here, Joshua says you have done all Moses told you to do, all he commanded you to do, and you have listened to my voice as well. So they had obeyed Moses. They did obey Joshua. They had not forsaken their brothers, verse 3, but they had obeyed the Lord. And in verse 4, God had given their brothers rest. In Joshua 1, in verse 13, the statement was made, The Lord your God gives you rest and will give you this land. In verse 15, Then you shall return to your own land and possess that which Moses, the servant of the Lord, has has given you after the Lord has given rest to the people. That was the statement right before Joshua 1.15. But the point, in Joshua 21 verse 44, the Lord gave Israel rest. He gave them rest. So they have fought for their brothers. They have won the battle. It remains the tribes to remove the rest of these people. But, but they have won the battle. They have gotten the land. And now they can go back home. They can go back home. Now, when they go back home, uh, what does... Uh, Joshua tell them. What does he, specifically in verse 5, what, what are their responsibilities? Remember God. Okay. Remember God. Obey God. Love God. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul. Walk in His ways. Keep His commandments. Those, those things aren't Antithetical. They don't. They don't fight each other. Loving God and keeping what God has said. Loving Him with all your heart. Joshua blessed them. The Joshua we stated in this book sometimes fulfills the role of a prophet. Sometimes fulfills the role of a king. Sometimes fulfills the role of a priest. The priest blessed the people. Later we're going to find the king. David blessing the people in 2 Samuel 6 in verse 18. Joshua blesses the people acting somewhat as a priest, somewhat as a king. He blessed them and sent them away. Now, I, I know this happens so often in the Bible that if we were to stop and call attention to it, every time that that we would wear ourselves out. But in verse 8, in verse 8, Joshua gives them the instruction, return. Return. Now, in verse 9, Joshua, the text tells us that Joshua, the sons of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, returned. The point that I'm trying to get is this particular word that's used where Joshua tells them what they are to do is used to describe what they do. He tells them to return and they return. Now, we won't, we're not going to drop off in our emphasis on that word. We're going to keep 
emphasizing that particular word throughout the text. But right now, what we see is the people obey. The same words that are used to describe the command are used to describe the obedience to the command. Okay, that's what we see right now. I love this statement. The unifying factor in ancient Israel was not her culture, her architecture, her economy. The unifying factor in Israel was the worship of the Lord. That was what tied these people together. They worshiped the same God. They loved Him with all their heart and soul and walked in His ways. And so these tribes were sent back with the instruction, keep doing that. Keep doing that. Now, they're going to do something that it seems like throws that in jeopardy. When these tribes are about to go back, they come to a city known uh, as, in verse 11, um, it is called Galileth. Where, where is my city there? Well, do you see the name of the city? It's in verse 10. It's in verse 10. Okay, verse 10. It's Geloth. Geloth. Okay. This city, we don't know exactly where this city is. Some think this is an alternate spelling of Gilgal. But it apparently, is that, is that in every version? No. no. It's not in the New American Standard. <laughs> <laughs> It's in the NIV. It's not in the new, but I, but I was thinking it was in the New American Standard. Go to, go to the land of Gilead. Yeah. Verse yes. Thirteen says the land of Gilead. Okay. Verse nine does too. Okay, but but Gilead is. Verse ten NIV says when they came to Gilead. Okay. Near the Jordan. What is? What is yeah. It would be G-I-L-L-I-T-O. G-E-L-I-L-O-T-H. That's the way the NIV. Okay. 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 I'll go with their spelling. You spell Gibeah G-I-B-E-A-H, by the way. But anyway, but the point, they build this altar. They come here and they build the altar. Um, why is that? Why is that a big deal anyway? What was um, you know? Paul has a couple of questions about that. Um, why would the, what? How do the tribes respond? How do they respond? Shock. Shock. That they would do. Shock that they do it, and even plan to go to war. Verse twelve. Now, why is that a big deal? Why was it a big deal that they built that altar? There was already an altar. Yeah. I mean, with the tabernacle and 
The yes. Idea of there's one place, one place. That's right. There's an altar with the tabernacle. In Leviticus 17, it's particularly, it's particularly, it's the whole chapter. It's only 16 verses. But they emphasize that you can bring your sacrifices to the tabernacle, and that was a way to prevent idolatry. That was, that was a way to eliminate idolatry. Now, there are people who believe that that particular injunction only applied to the wilderness days when they were close together. But, but I think this shows us there is an understanding. You can worship the Lord a lot of places. But to bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices and grain offerings, to do that, you need to come to the tabernacle. And this was, if they would have built this as an alternate place to offer burnt offerings, to offer sacrifices, to offer grain offerings, this would have been a violation of God's will. If Israel always manifests the same kind of zeal to make sure we're listening to God, we wouldn't have the book of Judges. We wouldn't have the book of Judges like this. So, so the fact that they're alarmed is good. They ought to be alarmed when they hear about that particular altar. They ought to be alarmed. Now, they will say, they will say, they will be, they will accuse them of building this altar to turn away from the Lord. To turn away from the Lord. You see that expression in verse 16 and verse 17. What is this unfaithful act you've committed against the Lord? Turning away from following the Lord. In verse 13, Is not the iniquity of Peor enough for us from which we have not cleansed ourselves to this day, although a plague came upon us, in verse 18, that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. You know what word is used here? The word for turn away in verse 16 and verse 18 is the same word for return. It's the same Hebrew word. Now this word is pretty, pretty, uh, it can be used a lot of ways. It can be used to turn back to the land, turn back, and to turn and turn away from God. Uh, David? Yeah, what they were accused of is what Jeroboam ended up doing. Yes. Building altars, places for them to sacrifice in Dan and Bethel. Yes. Uh, so. Yes, that's you know, right. They eventually, you know, this group along with others ends up doing that. Yeah. And it wasn't just the Transjordan tribes right, that were involved right, in that. Right. And that was most of them. Right. So that, that's a very good point. First Kings 12, where you see that with Jeroboam and. Do you think that they have reason to be concerned and that it was a red flag? But um, And it probably wasn't a wise no matter what the motive of the mm-hmm. Jordan tribe was because it could have so easily been distorted for the purposes. But the degree to which they react, you know, like ready to go to war without even talking to their brothers, mm-hmm. 
to me is um, just an indication of assuming motives, you know, assuming, assigning and assuming bad motives before they even talk. And these were men who had just spent, you know, five years or more yeah. with them fighting for them to settle their land. They should have been afforded more grace. I do understand what you're saying. The same, they do, it says, they assembled themselves to go to war. But before they go to war, they do ask. Yeah, but they're already ready to go to war. They they are ready, but they're not pulling the they're not shooting yeah. first and asking the questions <laughs> later. You know, they are first. They are first asking. And something else, and that really strikes me about their situation when they hear when they hear that um, these other tribes have not done this thing to turn away from the Lord. They rejoice. And I think that's a key. Um, I I can remember talking to a person. I don't know how many of you will even remember this. This was around late 90s. And for some reason, I have no memory of what America was going to fight against. Haiti. I talked to a soldier who is a Christian who was on that plane to go down there. And there was some kind of negotiation on the way. He called it all. And they said, there is, you've got to get yourself in such a mentality to fight a war that but when it was called off, it was almost like the people wanted to fight each other because they, you know, we, we've got all this energy built up. Now, that was one person's assessment. And he was just, he was trying to tell me, I'm not trying to mention that negatively, I'm just trying to tell you, he was mentioning that to help under, explain it to people who have not been through the experience, you know, what that was like. But I'm saying that wasn't Israel's response here. Israel's response is, oh, man, you know, we geared ourselves up for this, we want to fight. They're all rejoicing that they're doing the right thing. And, and so I, I, I can understand what you're saying. I do, think, I do think this really, they provide kind of a model, though. I think this is more of a model to be emulated than avoided from the standpoint that they do talk with them and they allow them the chance to respond. If, if you'll think differently, we can say that as we go throughout the text. Now, one of the men that's chosen to lead this delegation is Phinehas. What is Phinehas famous for? What is he famous for? The, the sword through the uh, man and woman that were uh, the man that brought the uh, uh, foreigner in. Okay, Numbers 25, where they're, the Israelite men are committing adultery with the Midianite Moabite women, and there's an Israelite man who carries a Midianite woman right into the camp in his tent. And he takes a sword and he thrusts him through in the act of fornication or adultery. And God praises him. Where was that? 
What was the name of that place? Peor. Peor. Ah, that's going to come up. He's going to use two illustrations. He's going to use two illustrations of how, of the events in Israel's history where the sins of a few brought disaster on the many. And, and this is going to be used as an appeal to these tribes that turn from sin. He's going to use two terms, mainly, to describe the sin of the people. Now, he, you could say three if we include turning away, but there, there are two terms that keep coming up in, in this unfaithfulness. But what they do, in verse, 10, verse 14, they choose one man from each tribe with Phinehas, the priest, the son of Eliezer, the high priest, uh, to kind of lead this delegation. And they go and they confront them. Now, we don't know uh, everything about the tone. We do know that what is said is really direct. Um, but um, verse 16, we see a couple of terms that are used, maybe three terms if we include turning away, that describe this unfaithfulness. Let me read it again. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, what is this unfaithful act which you have committed against the God of Israel, turning away from following the Lord this day by building yourselves an altar to rebel against the Lord this day. What are our terms under discussion? What terms describe their sin? Okay, rebellion and what else? Unfaithful. Those terms keep coming up in the text to rebel and to be unfaithful um, the verb of rebel is used five times the noun uh, is used I believe four times in the rest of this chapter uh, of, of unfaithful and acting unfaithfully the word rebel is used I believe about five times throughout this chapter. But he says, are you rebelling? Are you acting unfaithfully? Are you turning away from the Lord? And I believe every time that he uses turning away, even if I don't call attention to it, it is for the same particular Hebrew word for return to your land, return to your land, and but you are turning away from the Lord. It can mean to turn to God. It can mean to turn away from God depending upon the context. Now, what are the two sins? We've already mentioned that he mentions Peor. He mentions Peor in verse 17. Is not the iniquity of Peor enough for us from which we have not cleansed ourselves this day, although a plague came on the congregation of Israel? Now, Peor merits attention quite a few times in the Bible. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10 mentions that as well. Um, Boy preached about that passage the other night, 1 Corinthians 10, about verses uh, 6 through 10. How many people died in one day at Peor, does that text say? I think 23,000. The Old Testament gives the the number 24, and it may be that 23 of those 24 are one day, and that some, some appeared later. But 
the iniquity of Peor, it was the sins of a few that led to disaster on many. Now, what is another case that he refers to? He refers to a couple of cases in these next few verses where one person's sin uh, serves as a uh, bringing judgment upon many. Achan. Achan in verse 20. In Joshua 22, verse 20, the sin of Achan, he says, Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, act unfaithfully in the things under the ban, and the wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel? And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. Now let me tell you something significant about this. Like I said, this word act unfaithfully is used about nine times, nine or ten times in this text. The only other time that I could find, and I'm trying to say that in a cautious way after my failures of the night, the only other time I could find that the word act unfaithfully was used in Joshua is in Joshua 7 1. Talk about what Achan did. He took some things under the ban. So the point is, same word that's used to describe his action there, and as far as I could find, the only other time the word is used in Joshua is used to describe his sin and what would have been the sin of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh if they had worshipped other gods. Now, I'll tell you one of the reasons that I look upon what these people say favorably as well. And this is a statement in verse 19. In verse 19, if however the land of your possession is unclean, then cross into the land of the possession of the Lord where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or rebel against us building an altar for yourselves besides the altar of the Lord our God. Now already in chapter 17 the tribe of Manasseh complained we don't have enough room. But they're willing to say we'll scoot over give you all room. If your land is unclean, just come on over here with us. There's one person I heard at a funeral, he, uh, he was talking about his parents' dad. He said he had 17 brothers and sisters. He said he grew up with two beds. One for mama and daddy, and one for the 17 kids. And he says when another one was born, we just moved over and made a little bit more room. And that's what the tribes of Israel are doing. They're just going to move over. They're going to give them more room. That's, that's quite a sacrifice. And that's the reason I use that illustration, not just to describe this, but that's quite a sacrifice when you got a bed with that many people. And it's quite a sacrifice when you got that many people in the land. Well, and because uh, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, they had lots of herds. So it's not you're just that's bringing true. in people. Yeah. But if they're bringing their stuff, which you have seen with that's going to take up more room. I mean, so it's not Good point. just, okay, we'll build the, the city a little bit bigger, you know. it's There's going to be some sacrifice. There's going to be something going on to fit in 
the great number of cattle. And yes, that's a good point. And you remember back in Genesis 12 and Genesis 13, when Abraham and Lot were there, they had to divide because their livestock were too great. And uh, the grazing land is at a premium. And so this is a generous offer that they're making right here in this passage of Scripture. There is a passage that talks about Deuteronomy 13 verses 12 through 18 that talks about a situation like this. Deuteronomy 13 verses 12 through 18. If they found a city that was guilty of idolatry, they utterly destroyed that city and all of their livestock as a whole burnt offering. That's verses 15 through 18 of Deuteronomy 13. But they were told, if you hear this about a city, in verse 14, investigate, search out, and inquire thoroughly. They didn't, as we were saying, shoot first and ask questions later. They investigated, they searched out, they inquired thoroughly. Then, if that were true, they do as verses 15 through 18. Stress. But I, I do think here the people are investigating, searching out, and inquiring thoroughly. They are wanting to find out and they are pleading with their brethren not to do this. They use these two examples. They use these descriptions of sin and they offer them, listen, if your land's unclean, come back with us, but don't turn away from the Lord by offering burnt offerings or sacrifices. Um... What thoughts do you all have there? Whenever they gathered and they were ready to go up to war against them, um, in one sense that that kind of feels rash or you know presumptive, but then in the other, it's like if there is a problem, then we have to take care of it, and so let's be ready to do yes. that. And I mean that that whole that whole concept of I mean I've got a, a note here that says rash or gentle or zealous and I'm like okay. yeah and yeah just and and Finney has was described for his zeal for the Lord in Numbers eleven. You know, it doesn't say it says they assembled at Shiloh to go up for war, but I have I. The right I am looking at the text, and you all tell me if I'm missing something. It's just these ten people who go up, isn't it? I mean, it's not the. I mean, so so. I mean, I think they are prepared if the worst comes to worst. But these this delegation is is sent first to try to find out things, um, and um, but let's see the answer. Let's see the answer. In verse 21, again, we find the mention of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. And it said, they say, the mighty one, God the Lord, the mighty one, God the Lord. Use those twice. There is only one other place in the Bible you see those three terms combined like that. The mighty one, God the Lord. Would anyone remember where that is? 
That is Psalm 50. Psalm 50 verse 1. You see these three terms combined like this. And, and so what's the connection between the text? I don't know. I don't know. But when they invoke these different titles for God and repeat them, the Mighty One, God, the Lord. The Mighty One, God, the Lord. What does that say? What's that, what's that mean? They're kind of calling God as a witness. I, I think they are. I mean, they are conscious of the act, conscious of the idea that this act and these things are before God. And calling on God as a witness. And they say there in verse 20, He knows. He, he knows. He, he knows our motive. He knows our intent. And sometimes we know we've done things from the purest of motives that can be misunderstood. And, but they are confident He knows and then they are saying, may Israel know. And they come back to the two terms in verse 22. If it was in rebellion or if it was an unfaithful act, do not save us this day. If we have built this to turn away from following the Lord. There's another use of our word to turn away. If we build this for the purpose of turning away from the Lord or following Him or offering a burnt offering or a grain offering, may the Lord Himself require of it. They call the Lord as a witness. They call the Lord to inflict their punishment. But, but what is their explanation? Paul asked that question what is their explanation for the altar? Why have they built it? Not for sacrifice, but as a witness. Not for sacrifice, not for burnt offerings, not for peace offerings, not for grain offerings, first three types of offerings mentioned in Leviticus. Not for that, but it is a witness. And that term is used... In verse 27, verse 28, verse 34. Now, if you have, does anybody have the King James? What, what does it have there? It, uh, Art Ogden preached that lesson at Avon. Did the, night, the night before he preached that, he said, I, next, tomorrow, tomorrow night I'm going to be preaching about Ed. Ed, the altar of Ed. So you, it stuck with you. That is the King James wording, which is the Hebrew. The, what they've done is simply transliterate the Hebrew word. That's Ed is a transliteration of the Hebrew term there, and uh, which is believed to be witness, uh, but believed to to be translated witness and. But what is their explanation as for what purpose it serves? Well, Not for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but David? They mentioned that the Jordan River is between us. Natural barrier between us. And we don't want you know, anybody in the future to think because of that, we're not together, we're not brothers. And so we build this altar as a witness that you know, we're all together in spite of the natural barrier that is there. And that they all worship the same God, as this David's saying. We're all together. We all worship the same God. Now, 
one of the things that's going to establish that, in verse 28, this altar is a copy. It is a copy of the altar in the house of the Lord. This word that is used here in verse 28 word copy in verse 28 is the same word that is translated pattern when Moses was told to build the altar after the pattern he was shown in the mountain in 25 Exodus 25 verse 9 verse 9 and verse 40 that he was to build it as a copy. He was to build it as a pattern. He is to and and they are showing we worship that God. Now, another time this word is used. Do you remember in the time of King Ahaz when he sent the priest a pattern of an altar used in Damascus? And they used that to replace the altar of the house of the Lord. That's in 2 Kings. 1610, same word is used. Here they use the pattern of a false god. And this is a statement of Ahaz's loyalty to these gods. But I think the fact they build this a copy, a replica of the altar in the Lord's house, not to offer burnt offerings and sacrifices, but they build it to show, hey, this is the same God we're worshiping. Same God we're serving. Same one that we follow. And it is not for the purpose. Far be it from us, they say, that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away. It's our word again, verse 29. Turn away from following the Lord this day by building this particular altar. Now, I think that the bell is, is about going to ring. We were, we're going to have to finish, Lord willing, this on Wednesday night as well as to go in 23. New list of questions there. Paul, thank you for those questions. We may have some things here that we didn't... Because a couple of things here that we may touch upon that we didn't. But Sarah, you had a thought and then Brad. Well, I, I had a question about the next little section, which was, so they hear this... And it pleased them, and it ended up making the rest of the congregation Israelites happy. Did they ever inquire of God whether this was cool? It's, it's not stated. No. It is not stated, and that's a good question. But I, I, when it says please, I took it. They accepted this answer, and I think there's, you will find some commentaries who will state that they had built this to build burnt offerings and sacrifices, but they changed their tone when these other tribes come against They don't have any evidence of that. They don't have any evidence of that. Brad? Yeah, I was just going to make a similar observation. It doesn't seem like they that this was commanded by the Lord. Um, and, and, and it's interesting that um, in Joshua 4, when they crossed the Jordan, they set up the 12 stones, you know, to memorialize that. It's interesting that they, it seems like they could have just set up another 12 stones on this side to say, hey, we're we're a part of that over there. Yes. Um, but 
just that they chose the. the they they ch- I, yeah, I, I think the choosing of the altar may be a sign of the fact, like like we were stating, that it's worship that unifies them. It's worship of the same God that all makes them one. And uh, but but I think that that would be the um, connecting point. But but yes, it's it's uh, the stones were specifically commanded. This is a sign. You never see this altar referenced again in the Old Testament. Did it serve its purpose? I don't know. But that was it. Seems to be the purpose of it.